Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. So a big warm welcome to the listeners and the audience of the Work Life Hub podcast, as well as my guest today, Scott Beeson. Scott is um, a management professor at the University of Fairleigh Dickinson, but more importantly, uh, and what audiences may not know, is that Scott, you've been our very first podcast guest back in July 2014. Wow, okay. So it's such a pleasure to to have you on again, and what a great occasion! Uh, the the arrival and the publication of your new book, and we're going to be talking about that. But before we do, may I ask you, Scott, to just introduce yourself to our audience and tell you know I, I I'm sure everybody in my network knows you from <laughs> the um, you know the the I I know you best from your activism around working fathers and working fatherhood and parenthood, but I'm sure people from my network know you, but people from outside this this work family bubble. Please introduce yourself and then we'll go into the first question. Sure, well, first off, thank you for, for having me. It's great to see you again. And I, it, it has been far too long. Um, yeah, so my name is Scott Beeson. I'm a professor of management at Fairleigh Dickinson University where I head up the human resources um, program there. Um, I'm also a sober, Silberman Global Faculty Fellow, and I've taught in um, various business schools in France, Croatia, Monaco, and a few other places too. So I, I like to get out to Europe when I can. Um, it's been hard for the last while, right? Um, and you know, I'm so proud to, today to be talking about my new book, The Whole Person Workplace, Building Better Workplaces Through Work-Life Wellness and Employee Support. And uh, in addition to that, um, I have a previous book called The Working Dad's Survival Guide, which references the, the work about um, fathers and work-life balance for fathers. Um, and the way I kind of came with my career is I was a very traditional like academic researcher. And then, I don't know, in the early, you know, maybe like about 2010, 2011, I started having this like thought about I'd rather get and share information to people who could really use it as opposed to just other academics. So, you know, I started thinking who could use good work life, you know, um, information and advice. So it started by giving advice and things to working parents. And now I've shifted um, in the last several years culminating in this book is um, how do we uh, create better workplaces? So helping employers, managers, leaders, HR types, um, you know, how, how to help, how can they help their employees with their work life challenges? That's great. And, and I think that's as, as the collective uh, knowledge and the body of research on this has matured, right? I think a little bit like in the feminist movement of we're no longer wanting to fix the women, we want to fix the context. And I always say that even in, for example, in Belgium, where I'm based, when employees burn out, the immediate organizational response is to send them to coaching. And you can, I'm a fan of coaching, but if you do not change 
the structure they have to go back in after they have been coached, then nothing will ever change. So yeah, you know, it's, it's something that I observed and, you know, the, the workplaces that I profile in the whole person workplace do not do this, but many workplaces do where like they'll overwork you so much, right? They'll burn you out and then they'll give you a wellness program so you can feel better about your stress instead of really thinking about what are the sources of the stress? How do we design work better or um, divide work among work teams or create overlapping work teams? so that you know responsibility you know and, and or help people with boundaries as opposed to just you know fixing someone after they're getting burned out right yeah. it should be what can we do to prevent burnout right so um yeah there's structural solutions to structural problems as opposed to um individual solutions to individual problems and you know um a smart employer knows the difference between the two i guess Absolutely. Now, rewinding a little bit uh, to the origin story of your new book, <laughs> you just signed the book deal. Was it January or February 2020? Well, it was, uh, yeah, somewhere around there, right around New Year's. Um, and then, yeah, so I started, well, I, the book that I was proposing was was going to be called something like the Family Forward Workplace. And it was going to be more narrowly focused on on how do we support working parents. And one of the big insights I've had, got all this research together and practice together about, you know, we can let people like work from home every now and then or a day or two a week. And of course, you know, um, at least in the United States, it was March when the realities of COVID hit. Um, you know, it was a little different in different places of the world. But um, what that did was, A, it made that, you know, my, my prior advice not super timely. And uh, secondly, you know, when I started my interviewing of, I, I interviewed about 50, um, you know, ranging from CEOs and small business owners to chief human resources officers to academics to, you know, the whole range of people um, and businesses large and small as businesses as small as eight people in a grocery store and then multinational companies. Um, anyway, uh, but I asked them about what's going on now and then also their overall approach to employees. And I think the pandemic and the change to the workplace that came because of the pandemic uh, led a lot of them to realize that um, the wall of separation that we've kind of constructed between like life and work, you know, never really existed like we thought it did and certainly didn't then, right? We were seeing each other's living rooms and cats walking by and kids walking by, you know, and those were for people who could work from home and other people obviously had to still work in the world and they're dealing with all this anxiety and uh, stress and safety issues. So the separation between someone being well and being less stressed and being able to handle the other things in their lives, you know, it was revealed finally, very clearly that that's not separate from how someone can perform at work or, you know, you know, how they're able to bring themselves to the workplace. Um, if you're stressed out about childcare or elder care, or, you know, you're frustrated in your career development, or, you know, you'd rather, you know, be able to get some continuing education, but you're, you're foils in that, or you don't have enough time for life or your hobbies or priorities or volunteering that weighs on you as a stressor. And then you can't kind of bring your whole focus and engagement and everything to work right and then 
um, you know, you're stressed and you're juggling as opposed to then, you know, I, I guess so then the, the people I talked to, they were saying that they're challenged now. Um, and most of them, you know, I profiled successful companies in doing this in the book, not so many, like, I don't want to criticize people. Um, they, they were like, okay, what can we do? to help people with the other stressors, responsibilities, priorities, work-life challenges in people's lives so that we can maybe help take care of those a bit so this person would be more well. And then if they're more well, then, well, um, again, they're going to show up for us, be grateful, be loyal. Uh, you build a workplace culture where people help each other. And, you know, that's that's kind of the... the I'm sorry, it's a long answer, and I think I probably bled into some of the other things you're going to ask me, but um, that's kind of why the book expanded in its focus from a very narrow thing on working parents to like, how do we support everybody? You know, because everybody has stuff, right? Um, and, you know, to the degree you can as an employer, you should, you should try. Um, and you can't do everything, and you don't have the resources to do everything, but, you know, there should be listening, and then there should be an attempt to... Um, you know, help employees um, be okay in the rest of their lives. Um, and if we do that, you know, we're going to create a great workplace. I have a, a, a theory uh, that the pandemic has really um, kind of thrown open the curtains on the good leaders and the bad leaders. I think that was also an ultimate leadership test on how much do you care about your employees as people, how much empathy do you have, how much you're able to mobilize resources for them. Do you agree? Is this also something that you found during the interviews that you were talking to people who were either very mindful or not that mindful about uh, you know, their, their pandemic response and, and this human aspect of, of, of the whole thing? Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that what it did, it took away some of the structural supports, right? Like, so if you know your employees are going to be at the office from a certain time to time, right, then it's relatively easy to pop in and see how they're doing, right? If people are working from home or now now we're, we might be moving into like this hybrid kind of approach going forward, that's more complicated, right? And there's less of these like easy ways to be at least a decent manager, right? Um, so to some degree, there's less kind of, you know, there's less things constraining your management style to be at least reasonably effective, right? So you can become great or you could become, you know, be exposed as, as, as not being. And, you know, I think that many organizations and many leaders, um, and this, this gets to something I know you wanted to talk about later, you know, some have tolerated some of the workplace changes that have happened and others have been like, okay, well, this is where we are. Let's embrace it. Let's see what if we can make the best out of it and what can we learn from it so that we can go forward uh, better than we were maybe before. And that's, you know, that's just mindset, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, the, the pandemic really challenged a lot of managers and leaders uh, to, to maybe think in that way. And it also, I think, um, you know, again, you know, some... A lot of people were, not, you know, were not good over the last eighteen months. A lot of people lost people. A lot of people were very stressed and anxious, and you know, were dealing with very heavy issues. Um, you know, even a little less dramatically. You know, I, I know that there were lots of employees who were here 
at work and their kid is just off screen doing their online school. And then they have a younger kid who they're just trying to monitor, right? And if they're trying to juggle all that, you know, it's stressful and it's difficult. And so we got a glimpse to to see the challenges that people are facing directly. And I think a lot of managers too were faced with many of these same challenges. So maybe it helped their empathy that they had to go through some of this as well. Um, you know, um, and we'll get to this too, but I think the best managers really focus on, hey, is the work getting done and work getting done well? And they don't get so hung up on how, why, when, where, right? Um, I think, um, you know, that's something that, that we can get to, into more detail a little later on. I also found that, um, and that's totally, uh, you know, what, what you just said, that um, there were still organizations out there prior to the pandemic, certainly in Europe, and I'm not mm -hmm. sure how that looks like in the US, but in, the U in Europe, there were certainly a number of more conservative organizations or conservative leaders here who thought of working from home as a privilege, yes. as a gift, as a reward, right? So you've been such a good worker. Now, if your boiler repairman is coming, I will allow you to benefit from this great privilege of working from home so you can be there when the boiler repairman comes or if your child is sick or so that you don't have to do your three-hour commute. And for them, I thought it, it really resonated with, with, with what you said about tolerating and embracing. Mm -hmm. They have been thrown totally out of kilter, right? Because like all of a sudden, what they consider to be a perk became a business continuity measure, became a survival measure all of a sudden. So that shift, you know, must have been very difficult, I, I guess, as a leader. Yeah. And, you know, and again, some people saw this through the lens of how do I support people? Others looked at it as this is mitigating the risk to my organization by a lot, right? So there's different ways you could, if you need to be persuasive to managers, you can maybe find out what their priorities are, right? And you can frame it as this is a business continuity issue, or this is a kind of a risk management issue. Um, and, or you could place it as an issue of like, hey, this is the way we get uh, the best work out of a happy, uh, engaged workforce. And, you know, maybe some managers don't care about the third part <laughs> as much, <laughs> but maybe you could reach them with some of the other arguments. But yeah, you're right. And, and so you mentioned just before about, you know, managing by output rather than managing mm -hmm. by presence. Why do you think this is still so difficult for some managers to articulate what is it they need? I always find that when we interview people in organizations, the employees, something they recurringly say to us is, my manager doesn't know how much this takes, how long this takes me to do. Right. So there's still this disconnect of them not being able to maybe say what they need, because that's kind of the beginning part of managing by sure. output. Right. To to articulate and then be able to control. Yeah. So, I mean, this gets to like performance management in a broad sense. Yeah. Right. And performance mm -hmm. management really is, you know. I think what happens to a lot of managers is they do performance evaluations every now and then, and they think that that's performance management. So every six months, they have this conversation and feedback, and that's good enough. Um, but that's not performance management, right? Performance management is should be a continuous cycle of, you know, conversation and you know feedback and advice and problem solving and goal setting and just continue, you know, and 
you know, the best managers check in with their people for 10, 15 minutes every couple of days just to see, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything you need? Um, that creates the opportunity for employees to be like, hey, you know, what would really help would be blah. Or, you know, this task you gave me, I didn't think it was going to take as long as it's taking twice as long. Now I, I need to offload something else. Or, hey, you know, I, I'm almost finished with this thing you gave me to do. <laughs> you know, I could take something else on. Um, or, you know, hey, my my coworker is going to take maternity leave in a couple, you know, in four months, should we start planning what we're going to do with our workflow? Right. And, you know, you'd be so surprised how many organizations don't do that. They treat like every person going on leave is like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? It's like, well, like a fall off the cliff. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, it's a parental leave. And in fact, I make this point in the book is I, I, I interviewed, um, it was a quote from the head of work life at Microsoft. Um, who's like, we have eight babies a day. Um, with their, wow. their workforce, you know, their workforce has eight babies a day. Um, so it's like it, it was time that we stopped treating each one like a, an emergency situation we had to deal with, right? We we started to we needed to have a process, um, and they built an, an amazing process. They have, um, you know, in the United States, it's not like much of the rest of the world. We rely just on the private sector really for uh, things like parental leave, uh, but they have a very generous policy. Um, they have a lot of supports around it. They have a whole system where they the expectant parent works with the their manager and their work teams to to figure out workflow and other issues and prepare people. And they have a keep in touch strategy whether they want to have that while they're while they're home. Um, they have a reentry plan. Um, you know, there's lots of other training support um, and other things around um, around their their parental leave, which is how you make parental leave work, right? Um, and, you know, the thing that's going to torpedo support for parental leave by non-parents uh, is if it's onerous for everybody else, right? So if, you know, if someone goes on uh, parental leave and now you're stuck doing all their work, mm. right, then that's, that's, that's not respecting that second person as a whole person, right? That's supporting the first person in their whole, you know, in everything that's going on. But it's not supporting the second person because it's overloading them. Um, but the thing with parental leave, especially is you have, you, you have several months to plan, right? Like people don't, you know, you know, usually they, nine, right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but it, you know, the employee usually doesn't come forward, but you have several months at least. And, um, they, um, we can make it work for everybody, you know, you know, make it a developmental opportunity for a junior employee or, you know, for an intern or, you know, how do we distribute work or, or build things into a team-based environment? Um, there's there's different ways to do it. Um, and again, large companies that have Slack resources and, you know, uh, more people can can handle this differently than a small company can. But I think there's, there's ways to, um, you know, that companies large and small can deal with some of the challenges that employees face in this way. Now, thank you. And, and I think it's so great that you mentioned Microsoft because, you know, Firstly, my impression with with the wonderful book that you wrote, which is actually very easy to read, you know, it's 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 not um, it's not full of research jargon, you know, it's 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 easy to read and and easy to to follow through the different management processes. But really, what it does is it it um, marries, you know, on how you can manage um, people's working lives as a whole person, but through very pragmatic 
management tools, right? It, it brings the Thank two. Thank you for saying that. That was exactly my intent to, to <laughs> be very practical, but write it in a very conversational way yeah. so that it's not intimidating because, you know, you talk about Microsoft, they do amazing things. Now, if I'm a small business owner reading this book, you know, and it's just about what Microsoft's doing, that's intimidating. I can't do yeah. that. Right. But if it's, you know, examples from, you know, 80, whatever, com different companies ranging from eight people to, you know, tens of thousands, well, maybe this is a place I could plug in, especially if it's written kind of a little more practically and a little more, um, again, conversationally. And I, I, you know, the other thing I did just from a mechanics of writing the, the book is, you know, when I conducted all these interviews, I really, I, as best I can, I try to let them tell the story and them tell the narrative. Um, so you've seen, you saw the book early, but uh, for everybody else, when you buy the book, um, you know, um, certainly I, you know, I'm writing my own information and everything, but, you know, I'm, you know, according to the CHRO of this company here, here's what they do in terms of supporting people's needs volunteer. And here's what this other company does. And here's a quote from one of their happy employees who was able to do this. Um, and so they're telling the story a yeah. lot. Uh, so it's not just my voice, because I, I don't like books that are just like one person's like, oh, I'm the expert, you know. Um, so I really try to make this like feel like a collaborative. Absolutely. And it's a lot of storytelling. It's a lot of anecdotes. And I think that really helps. But 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 also, as you say, it it. it for example, the example that you gave just before around how do we uh, combine performance management with uh, work-life integration, work-life balance, whatever we want to call it, um, you know, that's something very concrete and very practical in management terms. And and alluding to the beginning of our conversation, it's, it no longer becomes like an add-on, like an afterthought of like, okay, here we have this company. And by the way, let's put two ping pong tables in the courtyard, yeah, you yeah, know, for. Yeah. But, you know, I, thank you. And I, again, I, I think that you were talking about the, how the work-life conversation and research has really evolved. In the beginning, it was always like, well, let's have this work-life policy that we're adding on top of things, right? And it was always an add-on, and add-ons can be taken away when resources get tight. And if it's an add-on and it's not really embedded in what you're doing, you know, then it's not really, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really become what you really do. So in the book, I talk about a lot of these add-on things, you know, you know, child care supports and, you know, you know, the whole range of things you think of with work-life and wellness programs and things. But then there's two chapters where I really dive into just the regular stuff you do in HR, um, the regular stuff you do in management, you know, from hiring people to evaluating performance to pay and, and core benefits uh, to job design, you know, like, you know, how, how do we build job assignments? You know, if we think about those and we build our values, right? So if the employer, if the employer truly has whole person workplace values, those should be embedded in how we hire and how we do performance management and how we develop our pay and compensation programs. Um, and then it really sticks uh, because if it's embedded in, in what you're normally doing, then it just becomes what you do. Um, but if your whole person workplace values are only, hey, you know, let's have a wellness fair one day, yeah. then it's that's just a one day little add on. Right. So, um I mean, it's important to punctuate it with a wide range of policies and programs, but I think it's super important that, you know, you, you build work, uh, whole person workplace values into the, your just usual ways you manage people. I like that. And, and can you just maybe give us a little teaser? Because I was, 
Um, I was very impressed or very surprised at the same time of reading that you also in included here hiring and recruitment because that's yeah. very rare. I thought that was very rare, you know, to to start the whole conversation around the employee life cycle then. Usually it's when you're there and when you become pregnant, then we, you know, start having this conversation or when you become a carer or when you have some other needs. But I like the fact, I very much appreciate it that you, that you also, so would you mind teasing that a little bit to our, to our audience? Yeah. I mean, you know, your relationship with an employee begins when you first meet a potential employee, right? So, you know, first off, what's the messaging you're putting out to the world? What's your employee value proposition? And, you know, what are you, um, what types of branding are you doing as an employer to, to signal that, hey, these things are really important to us and here's how we are enacting them, right? So that attracts different uh, applicants than if you're just like, hey, work work like a dog for us and you make a lot of money and, you know, other people might be attracted to that, right? But if you're trying to build a whole person workplace, you're not probably not trying to do that, right? Um, and then I talk a little bit a little bit more about like, you know, we should look at things like growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Uh, things like um, emotional intelligence would be, you know, th those are like personality qualities that are consistent with, you know, if you have a lot of people who have growth mindsets in your organization, you know, then there's less competition, right? Because the fixed mindset means if somebody else is being helped, they win, which necessarily means I'm losing. Um, so I'm going to be resentful. But growth mindset means, hey, support for this person is great. That's a good thing. You know, there's no fixed pie here. When it's my turn that I need support, I'll get supported, right? And so that, that's something. And also, you know, I'm, I recommend on both sides, because um, I talked to job seekers a little bit in the last chapter, um, during an interview, we should talk about these things. You know, what, you know so um, we should ask potential employees, like, tell me about a time you stepped up for one of your colleagues who needed help. Right. You know, ask those kind of behavioral interview questions that get to some of those values because um, cultural fit is incredibly important when you hire. I mean, that's the thing. Right. We've known that forever. Culture, culture fit is really important. If a whole person workplace is going to be an integral part of your culture, it should be part of how you recruit and hire um, for job seekers. They should be asking, right, you know, because at the last 10, 15 minutes of an interview, it's always like, OK, do you have questions for us? Be like, OK, so during the height of the pandemic, how did you keep people from being burned out? Um, right. Uh, or, you know, to what extent did you get employee feedback when you were developing your return to workplace strategy? And, you know, how does this play out? Right. And some companies could be some, some of the interviewers or some employers will be able to like, yes, here's what we did. And we're really proud of it. I'd like to work for them. Um, and um, others would be like, well, uh, and there's your answer, right? If they can't really articulate it. So um, it goes both ways. But I, I think that, and, and it, uh, also onboarding is a, um, a real lost opportunity in many cases. You know, that, that's your first chance to make a first impression as a workplace. And if you could put some respect and value on the, the person, not just as a potential employee, but as a, a person, it goes a long way. And there's one anecdote, and I'm not sure if it's in the book or not, or I think it is, but uh, in, only in a very small way. But if you don't mind, if I could take a minute. Back when I was in graduate school, I was in a uh, softball league. Um, and one of my uh, teammates, uh, she had she just gotten a new job. And she was a college athlete. And then um, this team was very important to her because it kept her like this was like her first like athletic thing after her college career and blah. Um, 
And so when she got this job, apparently during their conversations, they learned about the softball team and how important it was to her. So, you know, I don't know if you play softball leagues, but I'm sure there's some other equivalent in, in, in Brussels. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you go and you play the game and then all the teams in the league, they go to this one bar afterwards and it's a fun, like happy hour. So we're there and we're all sitting at a table. When it comes time for the bill, the waitress comes over and says, uh, we go to pay the bill. And the waitress is like, nope, bill is taken care of. And it turned out the new employer found out where the softball league went afterwards. Um, they picked up the tab for our team that day, just as recognition of her. And this had nothing to do with work, right? This is not saying we value you as an asset or an employee, right? This says we value you as a person, as a whole yeah. person with a priority outside of work that isn't even job related. Um, and she was, you know, let me tell you, she was like right. a lady. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've lost touch. This is a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, my guess is, you know, she really had a great, great, um, great experience working there. Um, she probably felt very, um, Appreciated, uh, no, appreciated, rewarded, and, yeah, and yeah. then that, that that returns. You know, she probably was more motivated or more engaged when she was at work. She probably stayed there longer than than she otherwise might. You know, um, so that's just you know that's the onboarding process. So we think about onboarding as like here's the policy manual, and here's you know like, don't sexually harass people, and you know here's your desk. Um, but we could use the onboarding process to learn about people and then put respect on other things that are important in their lives. And some other companies have done this where, you know, when uh, uh, someone joins a company, um, the next day there's a care package sent to their house for their, for their kids, you know, with like toys and games and stuffed animals and stuff. Yeah. And it's just like a little gesture, right. That goes a long way and saying, I appreciate you. Not just and I see you, you, and I see you as a parent, right? Yeah. And not just for what you could do for me, right? So that's the difference between like the mindset of like the mindset of a whole person workplace is I care about you as a person in and of itself. And it, you know, it comes back to you with, with business results. So don't get me wrong. There's a self-interest there too, but the whole person mindset starts with the, like, we recognize and appreciate you as a whole person. Other employers, like there's some employers that aren't great that uh, look at employees as like a piece of the machine that just needs to get like, you know, you know, just, just Reason. enough to, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to work. Then a lot of employers, they look at their employees as valued assets which we think is a good thing and it, it's better than the first thing, but that's transactional still. It's taking care of an asset only for what you could do for me. Um, so I want to give you a wellness program so that you are less stressed and you could do better work. Right. And that's good because you're providing the wellness program and people are going to be less stressed, but a whole person approach to uh, wellness, for example, is we want to provide this wellness program because we want you to be well and to thrive physically and mentally and psychologically. And if it also means that you're more engaged and focused while you're at work, that's awesome. Um, but there's a difference there, right? Between the transactional approach, you know, we we take care of our valued assets. We take care of racehorses, right? But we don't value a racehorse, right? As aside from what it could do for us, um, you know. And a whole person approach is a different level of valuing employees. And I also find, I mean, firstly, thank you very much for, for you know giving this great explanation because I, I think it makes so much sense. Um, 
just wanted to add on to it is that when you value employees as a whole as a whole person, you somehow recognize that there's part of it that's messy. Yeah. Right? That's that sure. can be uncomfortable, that can be messy, that can become complicated. Um but regardless, you know, we will in invest in this to to make sure yeah. that you're you thrive. Yeah. And, and the other thing is you can't always help every problem or every mm. situation, right? But you have to lead with this attitude of what can I do to help? And if I can, I will, right? So yeah. I, I don't want this to be like Pollyanna or, you know, like something that, that's uh, unrealistic because it isn't. Um, there's, you know, I have so many anecdotes and uh, examples from, again, businesses, large, small, who've done some version of this uh, in, in their company. So um but some people look at this like, oh, this is getting like ooh, holistic or zen, and I'm like, well, not really. I mean, this is this is fairly not you know, this yet. Is pretty practical <laughs> stuff. I know I, we in work life, we've always dealt with that perception. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, before we go to the last question, uh, can I ask you, Scott? Would you tell the, the audience uh, first of all when the book is out, uh, where they can get the book, and where can they find out more about you, your work? Where can they get in touch with you? Okay, so uh, again, the book is The Whole Person Workplace, Building Better Workplaces Through Work-Life Wellness and Employee Support. Um, it actually launches a week from today, so I don't know exactly when people will see this podcast or whatever, but... Um, so the know, 18th of August, it comes out. Uh, 17th. 17th um, of August. Okay, the 17th of August, and probably the easiest thing, I mean, most people buy their books through Amazon, so that's the easiest place to see it, but any major online retailer will have it. Um I know that all the Amazons around the world carry it. So, you know, for my European friends and everything, that's probably the easiest place to go. I don't know what its availability in stores will be in, in Europe. Um, so that's the book. Um, and, you know, I'm just so proud. And, you know, I almost had the, the, the second secondary title be building better workplaces that work for everyone. Um, and that's kind of my, my catchphrase. So if you'd like to help build a better workplace that works for everybody, um, whether you're, you know, top of an organization, a manager, or team leader, whether you're an HR type, whether you're just an individual employee who might just want to know what organizations are thinking about or a job seeker wants to know what organizations are thinking about because you might step up into these these roles at some point. Um, and also, you know, I think this would be a good book for a management or HR class. Um, Absolutely. Anyway, uh, sorry, that's my little commercial. Um Otherwise, um, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I have a weird, my, my last name is spelled kind of oddly. So um, if you put Scott, S-E-O-T-T, Beeson, B-E-H-S-O-N into like Google or anything, I will come up because I'm the only one in the world. Um, and, um, but, you know, I'm on um, uh, LinkedIn um, is, is probably the best way to connect with me. And I'm happy to do that. I have a website called scottbeeson.com where you can get information about not just this book, but my prior book, The Working Dad Survival Guide, which is advice and encouragement for fathers trying to balance work and family. Um, and my other, you know, appearances and other writing and things like that. You know, I, I place op-ed pieces and, and other writings and stuff. I'm pretty... Um, on uh on twitter but especially on linkedin i'm like sharing articles out and you know i'm pretty active there so um that's probably a, the best social media to reach me at um and again you know if you're interested in you know um this for yourself that's great if you feel like hey you know my work team would really benefit from us getting like 12 of these books and you know whatever then contact me 
and then we, we can maybe figure something out. I mean, this could be a fantastic back-to-work present for business partners, right? For organizations. Oh, yeah, that's great. Right? Like, uh, here we go Ooh. back to the office hybrid work. This is your manual to read. and Yeah, this you, is you how our... my marketing team. That was really good. Um, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, it was written kind of in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and while a lot of its advice is kind of evergreen, right? I mean, it's always good to support employees and, you know, all these programs, there's no reason we couldn't have done them in 2018 or we can't do them in 2023, but it's informed by what we've all lived through these yeah. last 18 yeah. months. And, you know, I think it has to be, you know, um, you know, so many more things are possible. We know so much more and it would be an incredible shame, right? To have to live through all we lived through just to go back to the way things were before without learning anything. Right. So, Maybe this was like a document of like what we were learning during it too. So, absolutely, and I think that the values are very universal. Um, this, this, what you explained—the whole person workplace as a as a value proposition—and and if if organizations embrace this, then uh, you know they can say we are a whole person workplace, right. and I think so- that. Right, that's yeah, awesome. that's quite uh, quite telling, and and it's like a badge. You can you can wear that with with pride. Yeah, yeah. So you start with the values, right, and then however you translate those values into how you manage employees, it depends on your situation, it depends on your employees, and you know everyone's going to have a different starting point. But the values are are the key to like I think a sustainable, really great workplace going forward. Great. Now, coming to the last question, Scott, if I could ask you to give one advice to senior leaders, organizational leaders, managers, based on what you have uncovered and synthesized in the book and what you think is going to be the most important for them building these whole person workplaces, what would be your advice? Well, in my experience, a lot of the movement towards things like this, work life and you know, the set of values doesn't start from the top usually. It usually starts somewhere in the middle, right, of an organization. But when top leadership buys in and supports it, that's when things can happen very quickly because resources get activated, people follow the leader, etc. So, you know, th- that's what I would say is you have a you know, as an organizational leader, as a CEO or or whatever, you have the opportunity to really supercharge some of these efforts that are already kind of bubbling up. And so, you know, you, you should lend your heft uh, down behind them because it's just, you know, it's a long-term uh, issue there. I think uh, the other thing I would say, and I'm sorry, I know you asked for one, but let me say two. I have guests um, who negotiate at this stage. <laughs> we, um, uh, you have to make sure um, you're hearing from a lot of different people in your decision making, and too many upper level managers only talk to other upper level managers, and you get dissociated with, you know, what's going on on the ground with your frontline employees or your customers, and so you got to open up ways to make sure that you're hearing from the wide range of your employees, especially those from underrepresented groups, um, those who might be facing work life challenges, those who you know might come from different backgrounds or genders or you know identities. Um, because the mo- even the most well-intentioned, least biased people in the world have blind spots. And if you're not hearing from a whole lot of uh, a range of opinions and, and viewpoints, you're going to miss something. Absolutely. Wow, that's really powerful. 
Thank you for adding that second part on because it oh, would good. have been Thanks. a shame to miss <laughs> I out. I could go on, on forever. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Scott. It has been such a great pleasure having you on again after seven years. Wow. Seven years. Wow. Yeah. And uh, really a big, huge congratulations on your book. Um, I'm re- I really hope that it will become an international bestseller and, and, and it will get into the right hands in front of the right pairs of eyes for people who need to read your work because I think it's, it's, a, it's an organization-changing uh, piece of work. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. And by the way, if um, everyone out there, uh, Agnes and Zoltan's book, um, uh, One Life, um, and I forget the subtitle, um, really, really good, a lot of the same kind of issues, a little more... Um, a little more focused on, you know, a deep dive into one or two company examples and a little more research. Um, but you know, a, a lot of the same learnings and everything there. So, um, if you haven't already picked up their, uh, their book, it's, it's worth it too. I Thank used you. it in doing research, uh, for, for mine. I was so honored to be honest, <laughs> you know, really, really, really honored that, that you have cited our book in yours and, you know, that was such a great form of recognition, even a few years down the line, you know, that, yeah. that you have found it useful as well. Well, thank you so much, Scott. And I hope we'll see you very soon again. Yes, yes. In person next time. But yes, yes uh, thank you so much, Agnes. It's a pleasure talking to you.